Prenonda. <laughs> you were not expecting that, were you? Sit out in time, love. Anyway, tipping back, tipping back a little bit. He's showing off now. Um, good afternoon. Um, thank you for having us here. It's great to be here. If you have your Bibles, turn with me uh, to Romans chapter 5. We'll be looking at the first five verses in Romans. Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, verses 1 to 5, joy in suffering. Uh, This is the title of my message today. And let's read Romans chapter 5, verses 1 to 5. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only that, be also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. Now, hope does not disappoint because of the love of God has been poured out, poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Let's pray one more time. Lord, I thank you. You are a God who is in control. You are holy and you're righteous. Yet you made a way for us to be with you, Lord. We were unclean. We were transgressors, Lord. Lord, I pray this afternoon you would remind those who are suffering today, who are going through difficult situations and have been for a while, that you are with them, that you love them, that your Holy Spirit is there to comfort them. Lord, we're sorry for the way we sometimes make it. We make it about us when it's all about you. Will you be present here this afternoon? In Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. Joy in suffering. Now, I've stolen that title from one of my heroes, uh, Joni Erickson Tada. When she was a teenager, many of you might know the story, uh, she had a diving accident, which, which en- she ended up being paralyzed, a quadriplegic. And so she's been paralyzed and in a wheelchair for 54 years. And this is what she said. And so she's talking about the moment she's in heaven with a glorified body. She's able to stand, to dance. And you think, what's the first thing you're going to do if you haven't had full use of your legs for 54 years? This is what she said. The first thing I plan to do on resurrected legs is to drop on ungrateful, glorified knees. It's to worship. And so this talk that she does called Joy in Suffering, I stole the title from that. But... What I want to do today, in our church, we've been through this series called Upward, Inward, Outward. And Upward, Inward, Outward is, is our church vision. Upward, because, you know, it's all about the vertical relationship, isn't it? It's about our relationship with God. Most of the horizontal problems that we have with people really is because there's a vertical issue. And so we focus on this relationship with God. So we say upwards towards God. Then inwards towards each other, that's that fellowship, the church, the, the encouragement, the, the communion that we share. There's commonness that you and I are brothers and sisters in Christ, even though we're in Swansea, you're in Cardiff, Cardiff Blues, Ospreys. Yeah, and never mind, but we have this commonness in all of us that we have been justified by what Jesus Christ has done. 
And so outwards, what is that? Evangelism. So you can take anything, money, upward, inward, outward. You can take the church upward, in and outward. And so what we've been going through, my wife and I, as a family, we've just been going through um, just a season of, of suffering. And I thought, you know, Lord, I think this is what you, you have for me. This is what you're putting on my heart. And so there might be moments there'll be tears, but let's go through them together. So I've got three points upwards, which is going to be verses one to two. Uh, inwards, which is going to be verses three to four. And outwards, which is going to be verse 5. So I want to start, let's look at verses 1 to 2, which is upwards. This vertical relationship with God. Romans 5, 1, therefore. Whenever you see a therefore, you should always ask, what is it therefore? So Paul now, he's been a lawyer. He spent the first three chapters in Romans kind of giving his summary of the law. And he pretty much says that we are sinners. There is no way on our own merit that we can be saved. That we are sinners who've transgressed, who've gone away from God. That we need, the only way we can be saved is in Christ alone. So now it's almost like you see the words jumping off the page. He's so excited now. Now he's going to give us examples of that justification, how that works. And so he's going to bring in suffering. And it says, actually, suffering is a continuation of that justification. And so he says, the war is over. You know, condemnation means that God declares us as sinners which is a declaration of war. Justification means that God declares us righteous, which is a declaration of peace, made possible by Jesus Christ dying and rising again. It's not what we identify with in baptism, that this changed life because of what Jesus Christ has done. It continues on, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Peace with God. You know, a lot of issues that are going on around in the world are people who don't realize their issue is this way. They don't know God. Therefore, they don't know the peace of God because they don't have peace with God. That's our job, isn't it? We are ambassadors going out, spreading this good news. Turn with me to Isaiah 59 verse 2. So just left of Romans. Isaiah 59 verse 2. He says, But your iniquities... Have separated you from God, and your sins have hidden his face from you, so that he will not hear you. What does he mean by iniquities? He's talking about, let me break it down. It's an act or feeling that does something that's not allowed or ignores something required by God's law. It's wrongdoings, it's sin, it's missing the mark. And it comes out in certain ways. It comes out in our thoughts, in our feelings, in our speech, what we say, 
and in our actions. That might seem harsh. You mean if I think of it without even saying it, I've I've transgressed? Yes. Why is that? Because God's standard has to be. God is so holy. What does that mean? He's separated from sin. Totally separated from sin. God is righteous. What does that mean? He is absolute rightness. God is just. And if you don't have a relationship with God, what separates you from God is sin. You're going the other way. Now, I know some of you have parents, isn't it? I, I took my little boy swimming. Well, to take my two little children swimming. And I was coming out of swimming. And then this mother, it's a typical parent thing, isn't it? You better come over here. I'm going to start counting. One, two. Because they end up being afraid of number three, isn't it? Years later, they're being counseled. So tell us what's wrong. I'm just scared of number three. I don't know why. <laughs> right? But what, what, does that, what do you expect that child to do? They're walking away. You know, God is unchanging. He's always been who he is, right? The thing is, I've been piling on these bricks of sin that have been pushing me away from him. And repentance is me going, I need to do a 180 and I need to go towards Jesus. You know, that's what repentance is. You know, confession means to agree with. It's agreeing and saying, Lord, I've sinned. Sin has created this gap. Lord, I need you. I need, I need, I believe that Jesus Christ has died for my sins, is risen again. That Lord, without you, I can't do it. He wants to be your God. Isaiah 59 2, isn't it? So here's my question Do you know him? Do you know him? Can you say this afternoon, he is your God? That you have a personal relationship with him? You know, the barrier of sin has been removed, is removed when we place our faith in the work of Jesus Christ. Now we have access to God. Because we have access to God, we have peace with God, isn't it? And the peace of God is available to us. Isn't that what Philippians 4 says? The peace of God that transcends all understanding. Now, when you look at my life, I might be going through difficult things and people who are not Christians look at my life and saying, how are you even standing? How are you even coming to work? It's because of the peace of God, right? We now become ambassadors for him. You know, Colossians 3.15 says, and let the peace of God rule. Do you know the word rule? It means to umpire. I am no longer led by my emotions and situations, but the peace of God is like a ref. What does the ref do? In or out, isn't it? It's in or out, virtual refs. Anyway, I don't even start on that. I know some of you. Now, we like traditional football. But what does a ref do? He tells you it's in or out. And that's what the peace of God does. My emotions want to scream, but no. His word, his peace says he is with me. I need to trust in him. Judges settle things. His peace helps me, helps my thoughts, my feelings, my speech, my actions. Verse 2, through, through whom we also have access by faith into this grace which we now stand. The word access is the idea of introducing. A few years ago, a friend of mine, I, I came to Cardiff and I came to, to, to watch a band. 
my friend, he's from America, and this band, he went to high school with them. I won't tell you the name of the band, you judge me. Um, <laughs> and so it took me backstage, I was in the VIP, and he introduced me as his best friend to his band. I just felt so privileged, right? This band has been on Radio 1, and it's, you know, we have something more as Christians. The God of the universe, you can call him Father. You know Genesis 1 where it says in the beginning, God, it's the word Elohim. It's the word attributed to God as in he's creator, he's transcendent, he's just unbelievable, almighty, powerful God, right? What does Jesus say to his disciples in Matthew 5 before he says about good works? And he says, if you do good works, you glorify your father in heaven, Yahweh, God for us. He's creator, he's transcendent, but yet he's our father. There's that personal relationship that we have with him. Access. That's grace, isn't it? God's riches at Christ's expense. Grace. Unmerited favor. You know, the Lord convicted me uh, a, few, a few years ago. Because I'm type A. I like things a certain way. So from 6.30 to 9.30 I study. Close my office door. Right? No one is allowed in. My children will be banging at the door. You've seen my boy. You've seen him during worship. Love him. <laughs> and the Lord said, you know, there's no point in you preparing this sermon and you losing your children. So, you know, in the morning, my kids come in. I'm in like in the heavenlies. I'm trying to find the Greek word. They just walk in. Do you know they have access? They sit on my lap. Why? I'm their father. But better yet, I represent the father to them. And so we have this access, we stand on His grace, we show grace to one another because we've been shown that grace. And so because of this, what can we do? We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. So let's break this down. Past tense. We've been freed from our past record of sin and we have peace with God. Presently, we currently enjoy a personal relationship with God. We have access to God. For the future, we will be with God in glory. Hope there is in doubt. Sometimes I say, I hope my car will start in the winter. No. Hope there is certain. Right? Certain. I write these things so you believe in the name of the Son of God so you may know you have eternal life. First John 5, 13. I have a certainty that one day I will see him as he is. We have the peace, we have peace with God. And with that comes the peace of God. It helps us in situations. Notice what's going to happen now in verses 3 to 4. This is the inward part. Verse 3, and not only that, but we also glory in tribulations. Wait a minute. How did we go from justified, grace, standing, Glory in our glory in tribulations. NIV says glory in our sufferings. ESV says rejoice in our sufferings. New American Standard Bible says celebrate in our tribulations. That doesn't seem like a benefit to me, right? Seems like I'm being punished. Shouldn't it be the other way around because I'm justified. My life is good all the time. That's what I should get. But it's not the case. The blessing of justification doesn't go away in times of sorrow. 
even in the worst moments, I'm justified. Do you know what the word tribulations means there? It's the Greek word thlipsis. It means crushings. Crushings. It's a word used to describe the crushing of olives into making oil. It's a painful process. Maybe there's some of you, you feel crushed. In fact, it's gone on for years or months. The moment you think, I've got my foot out, more crushings. How do you deal with that? How do you rejoice in sufferings, rejoice, celebrate in tribulations? How does that even happen? We're going to sing a song at the end, It Is Well. Let me tell you a story. Horatio Spafford was a very uh, wealthy man. He had lots of houses, and he was also a lawyer. And in 1871, there was the fire of Chicago, so he lost some houses, lost some money. A few months later, his four-year-old son died of scarlet fever. And so trying to comfort his family, he sent his wife off to England with four children, four, four girls, Ahead, And he was going to do a little bit of business and he was going to join them later. On the way, the ship she was in ends up in a shipwreck. Four of those girls die. She sends a message, a telegram back in those days, right? She says this sentence, saved alone, what shall I do? He then gets onto a ship. And the captain of the ship knew he was on board, that he had lost his girls, right? At the very place that this suffering tragedy had happened, the captain stops the ship. This is where he writes, is inspired to write this hymn. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to know, it is well. It is well with my soul. The very thing that took his children away. If you notice in that verse, there's a lot of water imagery. The very thing that took his children away is the very thing he uses an illustration to glorify God. How does that happen? How do you get to that stage where God is your all in all? I think it is because of suffering. Suffering is the process. Timothy Keller quotes Martin Luther. It's quite a long quote and I'll read it. He says, the actual process is the suffering. There is a purpose to it. It says, suffering plays a dual role. It's got two roles. Before we get to the joy and the love to help us overcome suffering, suffering must First, empty us of our pride and lead us to find our true joy and only security in Christ. Suffering dispels, it gets rid of the illusions that we have strength and competence to rule our own lives and save ourselves. That's what it's designed for, to bring us to our knees where we say, Lord, I cannot do it. We need God all the time. It's an utter dependence on the Lord. The same crushing. Here's what's interesting, right? The Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus was praying. 
it's actually, it's the place of the olive, olive press, this crushing. You know, the ultimate example of suffering is the Lord Jesus Christ, where Jesus Christ was pressed so hard, his sweat turned into blood. What does he say in Matthew 26? He says, unable to do anything else. He said, Father, if it is possible, take this cup from me, but your will be done. I submit to you completely. A friend of mine suffered a heart attack and he was telling me about his experience. And so what happens is you, it depends on the severity of the heart attack, you lose um, function of, of, of certain things. So what the doctors have, they have a list of 50 things. And if you look at the list of 50 things, you think a two-year-old can do that. Some of the things are raising your hand, walking, just wiping your nose. He was talking to me about the, 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 just the humility of having somebody go with you to the bathroom. Because he, he couldn't even walk. He couldn't do certain things. And it came a point where he just felt so useless. And he was telling me, and he was with tears in his eyes, he was saying, he got to the point, he said, Lord, if this is what I'm going to be, let your will be done. Lord, if I ever come back from this, let your will be done. And I thought, wow. How amazing. You know, the things we take for granted, turning the pages of a Bible. He couldn't even swallow. And he was in a hospital for weeks, couldn't even do anything. But yet, not my will be done. Why suffering? Jesus suffered. As his disciples, as his learners, as his followers, we are going to suffer. We're going to go through suffering. As a Christian, suffering has a purpose. Notice what he says here. Knowing that tribulation produces perseverance. Suffering produces that endurance. You know, that endurance is two words in the Greek. It's to remain under. Now, a friend of mine, I was in the gym uh, about 10 years ago. And I, you know, you, you go on the squat rack, you have a bar and you put weight on it. And so typical in the gym, a guy will come up to you and say, oh, can I train with you? So I thought, oh, yeah. And I was doing, I was doing my tiny little plates. And this guy put loads of plates. And he was going all the way down, all the way up. And you're kind of thinking, is everyone watching this? So I said to him, teach me. And so he explained it very simply. He said, look, I started from an empty bar. And all I do every single time, I put a little bit on. And what was happening is his muscles were learning because he was remaining under the weight. And that's what was making him stronger. That's the picture of what God says here. You know, through, through Paul in these words, he says, remain under. Remain under him. We remain under him to help us to endure. Endure. Suffering leads to endurance. As we endure, we're being changed. Endurance produces character. It produces godly character. It's Christ-likeness. The word translated character is proof, to be proven. The Greek word means to test for approval. You know, where we get that, the idea there is from forging in terms of gold. You know, when you get gold, you don't just get it as shiny as it is. It's, it's crude. It's got other things in it. And so uh, the blacksmith, what he has to do, he has to heat up the gold to an astronomical temperature 
and he turns into a liquid and he drags out the dross. He gets rid of the impurities. Then he cools it again and he keeps doing this process of really turning up the fire. Here's the issue. Here's the point. How does he know when it's pure gold? When he looks in and he sees his reflection. God's going to turn up the heat in your life. It's going to happen again and again. When will that process be done? When he looks at you and you reflect Jesus Christ back. That's the Christ-likeness. That's the character he's molding us, shaping us. He's doing in us. God does the same with us. We go through fiery trials. And one day we'll reflect the character of Jesus First Peter 1 Peter 1.7, this is where it tells us that the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Do you know what all these things do? The change in us. We see it in our marriage, how I'm changing, my wife's changing, and the things I used to react to, I no longer react in that same way. Do you know what it does? creates hope. This is the hope of salvation. As I change and grow into Christ-likeness and I'm growing, I see the proof that God has saved me. Other people see it in me. I see it in other believers. It gives me hope. This new nature that desires to please God replaces the old fleshy ways as they're constantly burned away through the fiery trials. The Holy Spirit lives in me. He empowers me. He gives me new desires. It gives me hope. I'm a work in progress and he still loves me. I'm not there yet and he still loves me. And this inward stuff that's going in me, I see it in you and you see it in me. You see it in your pastor. That's church, isn't it? Works of progress, encouraging one another, seeing that in one another. I'm going to tell you a story. I never get through the story without crying. In 2018, my wife and I, my wife was a teacher. I'm a teacher. 2018, uh, my wife um, went for a teacher training. So at that, our son was born in 2017. So he's nine months old. This is September. And, you know, as a pastor, the expectation is you're supposed to have it together. I, I tell my church, I don't have it together. <laughs> And I was just getting ready to preach, and we had been struggling in our, in our private lives, but also just in trying to take on the load of church. And so my wife breaks down, all right? There's nothing that's going to hurt you more as a husband, seeing your wife break down. I'm literally here about to preach. I'm like, Lord, I don't know what to do. So I go to her. I pray for her. I fumble through the sermon. I make it to the end. Do you know what my church did? For six months, they provided meals for us every single day. For six months. They were there for us. It was amazing. As we suffer, that's the way God's created it. That we're supposed to look out for one another. And here's the beauty in it. As you're going through what you're going through, and you are, you are invited to look outward. And you look at somebody and you help them out. Guess what? It helps you. <laughs> and 
And so there's this beautiful symmetry that happens in you, in your suffering, helping somebody else who's suffering. And then that's the way God created it. You know, that's why we're not saved to be alone. We're in this together. And I tell that story because it encourages me. And I tell my church, I haven't got it together. Don't, don't ever. You know, I am just like, what you see is my gift. I'm just up here just sharing my gift. You know, it's God's grace that has saved us. You know, there's suffering that's going on. Are you looking outward? You know, that's the whole point of being inward towards each other. We are a body. We're looking out for one another. Upward. Inward. Finally, outward. I want to look at verse 5. Now, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. What an amazing verse. We have hope. We have the Holy Spirit who guarantees that hope. He's our earnest. This is the message that we have. To go out into the world and say, look, hope is here. COVID has affected people. People were already affected. You know, there was a pandemic that was even worse than COVID way before this. The pandemic of sin. Right? And so we have this hope to say, look, God loves you. Come to him justified. He's going to save you. Repent, confess. He gives you a whole, the Holy Spirit who shows you how to love. Now, I didn't realize this. In, in, in our family, you know, like Marvels um, in the Hulk and in the latest one. And they're like, how come you're not turning into Hulk? And he's like, I'm always angry type of thing. You know, I didn't realize that my motivation for doing things was from a place of anger. That's what was motivating me. And it took a moment where somebody pointed that out to me. And it was like, wow, I didn't realize. And my thinking was, Lord, thank you that this is brought, being brought to my attention. You're still working on me. Lord, you are going to teach me your love. Whatever's going on in my heart, this anger that's motivating me, Lord, I want to be motivated by your love. And Lord, it's not me trying harder. It's going to be you working in me. Lord, I am going to hold on to you even tighter. That you work this out in me. That's the hope that we have, isn't it? We get to be with him. He's working in us. That we're showing people, we're pointing them to this hope. The Holy Spirit dwells in us. He's comforting us. He is our power. The same Holy Spirit that rose Jesus from the dead, that same power exists in us. He's assuring us of God's love. And there's this, the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. And so in times of suffering, I can respond with this love, this joy, and this peace. Because I realize He loves me, He loves you. I realize he's given me his grace, he's given you his grace. He sacrificed his son for us. He has justified us. He suffered in our place. In suffering, I identify with Jesus, and that suffering will make me more like him. 
But that's not always the case because when hard times come, my reaction is different. The Hulk comes out. The anger comes out. What I want to end with today, I want to ask you a question. Catherine Hatho uh, wrote a book. It's called Emotions, Mirrors of the Heart. She talked about three reactions. Remember at the beginning we talked about transgressions and feelings, emotions are part of that. She talked about three reactions that people have. And a lot of times when we're going through difficult times, we tend to have a, a main reaction. You either react in sneers or fears or tears. And here's what I want to ask you as I go through these three reactions. Which one are you and are you right with the Lord? Maybe you're going through a tough time right now and you haven't had the best reaction. Maybe your default reaction is sneers. What do I mean about this? You're going through a difficult time, so you react in anger to other people. No secret, that's me. (laughs) You feel irritation, frustration, contempt, pride, envy, spite, jealousy, hatred, loathing, fury, resentment, bitterness. And you know, those things, they come out in behaviors. You're the type of person that seeks revenge. You attack people verbally. You gossip. You're critical. You're overly judgmental. More passive aggressively, you sulk or you give people the silent treatment. There's a heart issue. When we look at that issue through the lens of scripture, your focus is on you. It's your kingdom come, your will be done. It's my kingdom come, my will be done. I'm upset at that person because they have disrespected the king of my kingdom, which is me. Who's on the throne? Me, me, me. Or as I call it, a trinity of stupidity. Me, myself, and I. (laughs) Right? You've offended. You know, we're talking marriage here. Some wives are going, this is for you. Listen, this is for you, Right? Because I'm offended half the time because she, I am, the, I am the God of my little kingdom with a small G, right? And she, how dare she say something against the king? Me, right? And that's why I'm offended. But when I realize that, and I, hang on, it's not about my kingdom, it's about his. God has used this opportunity for me to reflect inwardly and say, look, there's a heart issue here. The heart of the matter is the heart. So what do we need to do with that? Go to God. He loves you and has poured his love through his Holy Spirit. Maybe you're not a sneerer. Maybe you respond more in tears. What do we mean by that? These are emotions rooted in loss. You feel disappointment, hurt, despair, guilt. Alienation, isolation, hopelessness, unhappiness, rejection, misery, lack of joy. And more severely, a severe manifestation is depression. What's that behavior going to look like? You withdraw from people. You are negative about most situations or people. And there's that extreme sadness or weepiness. What's the heart issue going on there? Looking through the lens of scripture, the root of your joylessness is loss. 
You value things, and because those things are not there, there's a loss. It's the loss of wanting things. They might even be good things. It's those unmet expectations. You expected to have a bigger house. You expected to have a better job. And you see a loss in that, and it brings you down. When things fail to happen, you feel that loss, and everything just becomes meaningless. That loss is putting your wants ahead of God. It's an idol. You're saying God's perfect timing and God's perfect plans are not good enough. Your wants have in fact become your first love and you replace them above God. What do you do with that? Go to God. He loves you and he's poured out his Holy Spirit. Go to God. Maybe you don't respond in terms of tears. Maybe it's fears. What do we mean by that? Emotions rooted in future-orientated thinking. You are worried about the future. In fact, it's more of a threat. It makes you vulnerable. You feel dread, panic, distress, nervousness, unease, helplessness, anxiety, feeling overwhelmed, worry, and insecurity. In your mind, it's those what-if thoughts. What if this happens? What if that? And it dominates your thinking. Fear is F, false evidence appearing real. False evidence appearing real. What does that behavior look like? You will withdraw from people or situations. Your life becomes more restricted repetitive because you're looking for control. In fact, the more you tighten and try and get that control, the more you spiral and you have less control and it leads you to be depressed. So what's the heart issue? When we look through the lens of Scripture, this is a heart that fails to trust God. God is in control. He must therefore be controlled in your heart. When our heart refuses to fully trust our Heavenly Father, we desperately look to ourselves or put our trust in other people or things instead. What do you do? Go to God. He is on the throne. He loves you. He's poured out His Holy Spirit. And as we look at, we're seeing people who are not even Christian responding to COVID and situations in fear. They're responding in tears. They're responding in sneer. But yet, we have the answer. Go to God. He loves you. He's poured out his own. You're like, we got it. We got it. Let me ask you a question. How are you responding to what you're going through? You know, first, we don't tend to respond in joy, but oh, is it mostly sneers? Is it tears or fears? Maybe you realize that you haven't responded in the right way. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, I love that word, it's a continue. we continually confess our sins, He is faithful and just, He continually forgives us our sins, and will continue to cleanse us from some unrighteousness? No, all unrighteousness. You're like, heresy! <laughs> all unrighteousness. I'm just, I'm make sure you're awake. All unrighteousness, right? Notice, even though these issues are complicated and this and that, we go to God. 
right? His love has been poured out through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will see us through. I want to end with a story. Um, it's a long story. Um, so a mother, um, so a, a lady, her mother was diagnosed with cancer. And so difficult time for the family. And the last few days of her mom's cancer, uh, she realized her mom knew, really knew the Bible. And she was just quoting scripture. She knew after everything else was gone, what was left was God's scripture. And so she really admired that about her mother. And so embedded in her mind when everything was gone, God's word remained. And so she kind of wanted the same. So this lady, she had um, a, a baby boy, a child who was about three. And so she comes home. So this is where we pick up the story. And so she comes home. The babysitter goes upstairs. Okay. So she comes home from work. A mother recently died. She comes home and a babysitter goes upstairs to her room. So this is where we pick up the story. Her screams of terror took several seconds to penetrate my consciousness. I walked into our bedroom knowing exactly what had happened. I knew he had died before I laid eyes on him. My very first thought was Job 121. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Followed closely by 1 Thessalonians 5.18. Give thanks. In all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. All the years of training combined with the incredible power of the Holy Spirit to equip you with exactly what you need when you need it, it came over me. I was on the phone with my husband at the time. I told him Wyatt had died and he needed to come home immediately. I performed CPR while on the phone with 911, but I knew it was just a formality. Policemen and detectives came and went ruled out a homicide, then the medical examiner's office arrived to take my baby's body. I refused. I was not giving up my baby without a fight or at least an argument with God. I knew what he said about is asking and receiving and not receiving because we don't ask and the widow who annoys the judge enough to wear him down and grant her request and the faith the size of a mustard seed. For one hour, My husband and I, along with our nanny, prayed for resurrection over our son. Actual, physical resurrection like Lazarus. We went to the throne of God boldly, completely lucid, not grief-stricken, and asked as forthrightly as we could for him to give us back our baby. Not my will, but yours be done. God heard our prayer, and he said no. And I told him, okay, but you're going to have to get us through this because we cannot do this ourselves. In the end, the cause of death was positional asphyxia or SIDS. He wasn't even sick, but the end hasn't been written. The Lord has shown us over and over again how he never intended for us to go through this alone. He gave us himself and he gave us the body of Christ. That morning, after Wyatt died, two of her friends showed up without calling to look after our two children. Our church mobilized an army of prayer warriors and help warriors. Meals were sent. Our families flown in from Nicaragua, Arkansas, Texas, and Arizona. People gave up their apartments for our families, rented an apartment down the, down the street, delivered meals to our nanny in Brooklyn, planned and executed the memorial service, printed bulletins. Every single last detail was taken care of. 
or without our knowledge or consent. And so we were allowed to descend to the very depths of our grief, experience it in all its agony, and emerge on the other side. When we emerged, our community had been transformed. When we emerged, our community had been transformed in unity through suffering. We were pregnant. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we ask and we pray that whatever attendeth our Lord, whatever comes our way, Lord, that it is well with our soul, Lord. That, Lord, you have already provided, Lord. You want us to come to you, Lord. You want us to be dependent on you, Father. So, Lord, I pray if there are any here today who cannot just take it anymore, that they would come to you, Father, that this church will come around them, Lord, and point them and lead them to you. Lord, we just thank you. We're so thankful. So thankful for your Son, Jesus Christ. So thankful for your Holy Spirit, Lord. And in those verses, we see the Trinity in action. And Lord, you love us so much. You poured out your love, Lord. This is the message that we have to tell people. In Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen.